Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, before I begin my sermon today, uh, obviously the events of these past eight days have, have really caused us to reflect and to, to be thankful for all that God has done in his provision in our, our church family. About 90 of us gathered Thursday night to, for a prayer uh, service for the folks that had lost in borderline shooting in the fires. And, you know, uh, some of you are wondering uh, where Pastor Scott is. Many, many months ago, he had a, a vacation planned out of town, and he said, maybe I should cancel it. And we said, no, you shouldn't cancel it. You need to, to get away. However, most of you have better contact with him because you guys have been texting he and Adrian all week, and uh, hopefully they'll enjoy uh, their last part of that. So he sends his love and wishes he could be here with you this morning. Hey, I want to introduce uh, our friend from Billy Graham. Is he still here? Um, this past week, because of uh, what went on, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has uh, had emergency chaplains here all week long, and I want to thank them. They've been here for nine days. They started with the borderline shooting. Uh, he lives in Riverside, so I'm going to let him actually drive home uh, and say thank you so much for your ministry this past week. Yesterday, we did an emergency briefing on how to care for people in trauma and stress, and many of you were at that, and thank you for being a part of that. So... Um, but these pictures kind of say it all, right? Because these are pictures that touched our families, um, our homes. There's Ella right there. Um, some of you came and worked and prayed for people at the memorial. And then um, so many of you came to help clean. And I thought this was a cute picture of Abby cleaning the nursery for the kids. And you kind of, people came and vacuumed and dusted and wiped stuff down. And we had air purifiers and all of that. And it's it's been quite a week, hasn't it? And so with that, I said, Lord, how does that all fit into Acts 27 and 28? And uh, let's, let's take a go at it. I want to ask you, first of all, as we look at this text together, uh, how many of you ever had an unsus... You know, kind of like, oh, that's a surprise. That's a nice little something. I didn't expect that. Something happened in your life. You're like, oh, that was kind of cool. Anybody ever had that experience? Well, I've had that. Uh, about 20 years ago, we were a pastor couple with young kids in Minnesota, and we're out of space in our little Toyota Corolla, and we're praying for, like, Lord, we need, like, a minivan or some mom-mobile, right, that we can, like, stretch out in and bring more kids to church in, and, and so um, uh, I, we come from a very large family. My dad's side of the family had eight brothers, and his first uh, brother had, like, 13 kids, and and so big, big family. And so over the years, I've ended up doing a lot of the memorial or funeral services for my dad's generation, his brothers and sisters. And uh, about 20 years ago, I, his brother died, and, and um, they asked me to do the memorial service. And, and so I did it and um, didn't think any of it. And so all the brothers and sisters are gathering the next morning as they read the will and you know, talk about what they're going to do with their, their assets. And I'm, I'm literally in another room. This is for the, the older folks, you know, to deal with. I'm just trying to mind my own business. And I'm actually, I remember I was reading USA Today. I was reading the sports page. And their, the oldest brother is reading, you know, what uh, Uncle uh, Lloyd wanted. And I'm not paying much attention. But then all of a sudden, and all of my worldly assets are to be given to John Lee Irwin, 
and Daryl Hunt. Now, you've got to understand something. There are 52 cousins that are at my level in the, in the family tree. For whatever reason, they left everything to me and my cousin. Now, before you get too excited, we're talking Bakersfield, not Malibu, all right? So, but it was enough, a little money, to buy this little minivan, used minivan. And for 12 years, every time we got in that car, we... What a, what a unsus- just a little surprise that God kind of dropped in our lap because of Uncle Lloyd. Well, in our passage today, we see some surprising things here. In fact, Paul experienced an uncharacteristic good fortune in this last leg of his missionary journey, and he's on this collision path, as you know, to Rome, and I think God wraps six little surprising gifts for Paul. He gives these things to Paul as a reminder that even though Paul's ministry is going to end in a few years, that he's still looking after the details of his life. And friends, in light of what we've experienced as a church family, he's still looking at the details of your life as well. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you bring to light the things that will help us to to take this next week in stride as we look at your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, because I like to work ahead, I had worked on my message over two weeks ago. It was in the bank, so to speak, because it's Thanksgiving week. I wanted, you know, coming up, I wanted Stephanie, everybody have plenty of time. So this happens. We cancel our services last week, and then in talking with Scott, he says, hey, can you just cover the section I was supposed to cover? I said, Scott, I'm the long-winded guy, you know? I'm going to get to do two sermons in one and try to do this, so I'm going to try to do his section, and we'll, we'll combine it all together. But as I read it, I go, this fits perfectly with what we're talking about. So what was gift number one? Well, let me summarize it. It was unbelievable protection. We see that in chapter 27, verses 27 to 44. That's what we would have covered last week. So where did we last leave you? We left Paul on this ship with an almost certain perfect storm collision with calamity with 276 passengers, and they're going to die on the ocean, right? That's kind of where we left you hanging two weeks ago. And so at that point, some of the sailors are going to abandon ship, and if you look at the text in verse 30, they're going to put down the anchors, but what they're actually doing is grabbing the lifeboat to abandon ship and let everybody die. Well, Paul says to the, cap, the centurion, Captain Julius, that there's this plot and they better stay on board or we're all going to die. So we see the sailors panic. Then Paul says, hey, everybody, it's going to be okay. Now, they're in the middle of this unbelievable Mediterranean storm. And he says, hey, hey, it's okay. In fact, you should eat. You should eat and, and, and keep up your strength. And if you don't see the sense of humor, hey, you could die in the storm, or, but you should at least have a full tummy, right? And so he says you should eat, and uh, he promises, he lays out, hey, you're all going to live. Not a hair of your head, he says, is going to be lost. And so they eat this meal together. They're encouraged. They start throwing stuff off the boat, because I guess that's what you do so you don't sink. And it reminds us of Jonah, right? They want to throw Jonah off a boat too, right? And so you see not only the sailors panic, but you see Paul's promise there in verses 33 to 38. Well, they can finally see land. And as the ship approaches, you couldn't just be easy, right? Just run the ship into the sand. Of course, they hit a reef. And of course, it gets stuck on the reef and the waves are pounding the ship and it's breaking apart. And so 
Another bright move, the soldiers say, well, I, we're just going to kill everybody. If the storm wouldn't kill you, we're going to kill you. Not a good idea. And so because of Paul's ministry on this ship previously and because the, the Julius knows that Paul's a special guest prisoner and he's not going to die on his watch, because of Paul's status on the boat, the, the captain says, no, we're going to get Paul to Rome. And so he says, no, you're not going to do that. And so they, they, they swim in. It's a ragtag bunch of people who can swim. Others are floating in on the, on the, on the wood planks. And they make it, and not one person dies. Unbelievable protection. And we've had unbelievable protection in our own church family today. There is one family that we'll talk about at the end of the service that lost their home. At my last count, and it's not an accurate count, there's at least 20 of you, maybe more, who the fires burned all the way to your back fence line. It burned your fence down, maybe took out a truck, maybe took out uh, your play equipment, maybe burned your brand new wood chips. Like, by the way, note to self, like railroad ties you know, soaked in creosote, bad plan. I'm going with rocks in the future for sure, right? But think of all the times that Paul is protected in just those few verses, right? The first storm in the middle of the ocean, they're all supposed to die. It's like the perfect storm. Then he's protected from the sailors abandoning ship, right? Because they're going to abandon you and save themselves. Then they're protected from uh, being shipwrecked on the reef, right? Because people could have drowned there or died just in that impact. Then he's protecting from drowning as they get off the reef to the shore, um, on and on. In fact, the sixth time, you're going to see that Paul saved again. So we've seen God's hedge of protection around Paul. We've seen it around his life as well. Uh, God put his hedge of protection. I could have picked a dozen different families, but this is the Crab family where this is to one side of their house, and then you see the other side of their house, and that all burned, and that's part of their lawn, and then you see in the middle is their house, untouched, untouched. And there's story after story after story in this congregation of fires burning right to the edge of your homes. That your neighbors, some who stayed back with hoses, saved your house. Those are stories worth sharing. Stories worth saying, God is good. He's provided. But I am also aware of the fact that some of you have very close friends who've lost everything. And our hearts break for them. Because even in the loss of everything, God is still faithful. He's still the God whose heart is breaking with yours over that. Well, what's the second gift Paul gets? Look at verses 28. By the way, I did all that, what, in four minutes? Not bad. 30-minute sermon, four minutes. There's miracles still happening today, right? There we go. Thank you, Pastor Scott. All right, second point, uncommon hospitality. You see these kindness from strangers. Look at verses one and two. After we brought safely through, when we learned the island was called Malta, okay, good, the native people showed us unusual kindness where they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. We were kind of hoping for the rain and cold part this week, haven't we? And we'll probably get it on Wednesday. But they're, they're on this island, and the, the Malta is just a tiny little 18-mile-long island. The Long Island is, by definition, by comparison, is like six times bigger than this little island of Malta. It's been a Roman island. And the native people, uh, Luke gives all these details about uh, this text. And I, I'm, I'm always reminded that Luke is the one who writes 
to my mother. Because my mother is the one back in the day would always ask me all these questions about everything. And I don't know the size of the baby or how much it weighed. Or, but Luke is so detailed. He's giving you all the specifics about what happened here. And the word he uses, these islanders, is the word we get our word barbarian for. And they were they're nice people but didn't, didn't um, speak Greek, right? And they showed this unusual kindness. Again, the word is in our English language is philanthropy that is used here. And through these people, God uses them to show Paul uncommon hospitality. Now, remember, Paul has just a few other people with him, not just his party, but how many are on the ship? 276 people. That's a lot of hospitality. Some of you took 10 or 12 people into your homes this past week, and you were feeding, and the kids were playing, and if there weren't fires burning all around you, it was kind of like a family camp in a kind of a way, but... This hospitality goes on for three days. And I'm so grateful for people in this church who have opened their homes, who have cooked, who have done things for others. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this kind of what we would call uncommon hospitality. Now, you would expect that somewhere in this text that Paul will, or Luke will talk about, and then uh, Paul gave an invitation, people came forward. Uh, and people came to faith in Christ. Well, you got to imagine that all this talking and eating, there's conversations. And I just encourage you, as you go into Thanksgiving, all this talking and eating, that there's conversations, especially if you are having family, friends, and neighbors who maybe have been displaced in your home or whatnot, and tell them about God's provision in your life. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Talk about it through your actions. And so the third gift comes in the next few verses. We see an unusual miracle, and because of that, a change of mind. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Now, they've been hosting this guy and his friends, and now all of a sudden they turn and go, see... This is a bad guy. It's a prison ship. He must have been a murderer. This is divine justice. He's going to die. And here's what they thought. No, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Well, would you get it straight, folks, one way or the other? First, you know, you're hosting them in your home for a three-day party, then he gets bit by the stake. Now, the interesting thing is, today, there are no venomous stakes uh, on the island of Malta, so we don't know if there were venomous stakes back there. They certainly thought it was a venomous stake, and this viper does it. But Paul is the ultimate Rambo. He's like, done with this, <laughs> into the fire, and they're going... And you can imagine the more uh, cynical of, of the group or watching going, let's take bets. How long will he live? I give him three hours. I give him six. I give him eight. I think he'll die by, you know, and they're just waiting for it to swell up and die. And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And I imagine everybody thinks, like, Paul, maybe he's not a murderer. Maybe he's a, a, somebody from God. Maybe, maybe he is God. And they think they, had, they were superstitious. They had this idea that, a form of karma was going to happen, and this divine justice was going to intervene, and so they waited. And they thought, in their thinking, this was a prime opportunity for the gods, little g, to bring retribution on the guilty. 
So Paul surviving is evidence that maybe something else is going on here in their minds. Didn't die in the sea, didn't die by this snake bite. So they're just like, what's going on here? And so they change their minds. That word change is the word where we get our word metabolism. And so they change their minds and they just keep observing. People have been observing you this week, haven't they? Of all that's been thrown at you, all the things that you've had to kind of shake off, people have been watching you, Christians. They've been watching your actions. They've been seeing how you've responded. They've seen your kindness. They've seen your generosity. They've seen that you, you haven't completely lost it. And, and many of you are, some of you are not even in your home still. And, you, and uh, some of you are getting electricity. But, you know, for some of you, electricity is one thing. But, you know, you, you, you don't have any internet. You didn't know what's going on. You have to get out of your house to get, get uh, word of what's happening. And so we see here that the third gift is this unusual miracle. And I think there's been unusual miracles all week long, and you're sitting here because God providentially protected you, put his hand of covering over you. Well, they're waiting for it to die, but see what happens. There's an undeniable healing that happens after this. Paul doesn't die. Look at verses 7 through 9. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three more days. I mean, everywhere Paul goes, there's a party that follows him, and they, hey, come on, hang out with us. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands, and only here next you see this, laying hands on him, healed him, and when he had taken, this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases all so came and were cured. By the way, that last phrase, who's that remind you of? Who also came to someone else? Jesus, right? In the Gospels, people, he would heal someone, and then everyone would come to be healed. So this mayor of the village, maybe he's the governor of the province. All we know, he's a wealthy guy, and he's hosting Paul and his group again. And they're kind of partying with the governor for a few days. But his father's sick, and he finally confides in Paul, can you do something about this? Because you didn't die. Maybe you can keep my father from dying. And by the way, it's been tough if those of us who are in this whole thing, caring for aging parents, many of you had to do that. My father-in-law had to be evacuated from the sunrise over to Simi Valley, and then the fires go in Simi Valley. And then, you know, it's been quite a, uh, some of you were evacuated numbers of times. But Paul doesn't die, and so he prays over this guy. And we know from, from subsequent history that probably what this guy had was Malta fever. It's a thing, right? And it's, back then, it was caused because of a microbe from drinking goat's milk. I never did like goat's milk. Now I know why. There you go. <laughs> And so the father is the first of many who Paul ministers to because of that one healing. And so he heals. And so this section tells us again that when God does his thing, when God heals someone, let's give him the glory. There's undeniable. Paul doesn't take credit, but it happens. Now, this week, we have a chance in ongoing weeks to meet the real and physical needs of people. And it's important for us to do that. It's important to, to say, okay, I'm back in my place. I'm just going to take care of myself. Some of you have been more connected to your neighbors than you've ever been. I've heard story after story of helping people. We had one family that didn't barely know their neighbors, but they're a young Chinese couple, and they didn't speak great English, and they said, come with us, and they went, and they got evacuated two more times with this little Chinese family joining their family. 
That's awesome. Because God is at work through you, and who knows what kind of healing he's going to do through you this week. I had an interesting thing. There were some friends of ours, and you know them, uh, the Rafteries and the Crabs, and they, they couldn't get out. They, they wanted to be on their property, but they couldn't get back out this side of their property. Otherwise, they wouldn't let you back in. So I said, you know what? We have first responders. It's time for the secondary responders to, to step in. That's the pastors, the counselors, the friends, the mentors. So I had a pocket full of my business cards. So I went right up to the checkpoint there on can. I said, hey, I got friends on the other side. I know you're not letting people go through, but I'd like to, can I hand you the food so you can add them? Can they meet you there? And he goes, well, first of all, I don't want you to do that. I want you to remove your card. I said, okay, 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 I'll do it. He goes, I, I, and I just said, hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor here at ABF, and I, I just want to help my friends. I just want to bring them some food. I just want to do what God's calling me to do. And then he turned so nobody else could see, and he goes, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. And I said, me too. He said, I'll let them come through, and you can meet them in the, air, in, in the, in the parking lot. I said, I, and you'll let them back in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to hand it to you? No, no, no. They come. I said, great. So I went Wood Ranch. I'm ordering the food. I'm thinking this is what a country. And, um, and so as I, I call them, they're coming on their way down, and they said, uh, they said, did you talk to the guy? I go, yeah. He goes, well, they're not there. The roadblock is gone. I said, really? Praise the Lord. Come on in. So they went. There was no roadblock. It was like we're doing a drug deal off the back of my car in the parking lot, you know? Here, here's some, uh, you know, chicken and tri-tip here with some mashed potatoes. And then they were able to get back. You know, God removed the roadblock. And so story after story of stuff like that where you guys have done something to make a difference for someone else. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Well, what's the fifth gift? It comes from chapter 28, verses 10 through 14. So they also, because of this healing, they also gave unexpected honor. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And after three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with, we'll come back to this, look, note this in your Bible, twin gods as a figurehead. And then they put in and it tells them where they went. So they honored them greatly after, you know, putting on the party. They said, well, they can't leave. And so Paul's group is like royalty and they loaded them up. This is after they spend three months harboring in the winter there. So the third, and this is the third example of, of kindness that is extended to Paul and his group. Let me just make this point. As people see Jesus in you, I believe kindness is multiplied through your efforts. And people want to bless you because you've been blessing them. I was putting out a little, I mean, I've done a little spot fire last weekend, and it was a friend of mine that I know from the Homeowners Association, and I said, called him, I said, George, you're, you're like, stuff's on fire here, and I went to voicemail, but don't worry, we got it undercover. I mean, the stuff had burned and burned, so this is like many of you have done, little spot fires, right? So I told this Thursday night, well, he came, he called me and said, oh, I'm so glad. And I said, you know, none of these people knew who you were. I happen to know him, but nobody else did. So you had like little angels watching over you. And I said, I said, uh, he had little Christian angels watching over you. Because the deal is, uh, my friend George, he's a Jewish guy, and, and we played golf, and we talked about stuff. And he said, John, this is amazing. The Jews are being cared for by the Christians. And I, I could not resist. I said, 
George, we've been doing this for years, all right? <laughs> we've been doing this for years. And so whether you have Jewish friends or uh, Muslim friends or Christian friends or people who are far from Jesus, just carry the Jesus badge with you. You do it in the name of Jesus, and the love of God compels us to help others. Now, they thought that, that fate was determined by the twin gods on the mast of their ship. For those of you who are into mythology, that was Castor and Pollux, the sons of Zeus in mythology, and they were part of the constellation Gemini that was considered a sign of good fortune in the storm. Let me tell you about justice and benevolence and pagan deities and the whims of justice. God's still in charge. He's still on the throne. And so the why question comes to you right now. Well, why was Paul saved? Why were we protected? In any time of difficulty, we have a continuum. On this side is God's provision and protection. Now draw a line that goes over here to the other side, and you have God uh, pain and problems. No matter whether you're a Christ follower or not, you live on that continuum. Not all of us have had, you know, a, you know, an easy week. In fact, some of you who have been living on the pain problem side of this continuum are kind of say, hey, Lord, is it time for us to kind of keep, just move a little bit to this side towards the provision and protection side? Others of you on the provision and protection side are just, Lord, why me? Some of you are dealing with a little survivor guilt, maybe even, because you look at what happened all around you. But no matter what, benevolence isn't the whim of a pagan god. Benevolence comes from providence, from the eternal God. And so the bottom line is God used Paul in that situation. Well, the sixth gift comes from the last couple of verses. Brotherly support and undaunted courage. So we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So Paul's reputation precedes him. And so as he's making his way, they, they harbor. They're going to walk in the rest of the way. It's about a 40-mile walk from where they harbored and, and to get to Rome on the Appian Way. And people start joining him in that final leg of his journey. It's kind of like a support group while you're running a marathon and someone kind of runs with you you're that final two miles in. Well, that, his friends are talking and they're sharing. And Paul, on his part, thanks God for their investment in the gospel with him. And then I'm going to come to this word courage in a moment. As I was refer, thinking of that, I was thinking about Paul's life and someone sent me this little a podcast from Robert Madu, who's a speaker that we heard at Catalyst a few years ago. And he says this. He's a black preacher. He does it with better voice inflection than I do. He says, Paul had grace and grit. Every time he went somewhere, they tried to shut his ministry down. They said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He said, that's cool, because to die is game. He says, we're going to let you live then. He said, okay, that's cool, because to live is Christ. He says, okay, then, Paul, we're going to make you suffer. He said, that's cool, because today I already know that the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory of God that will be revealed. Amen. That's the summary of Paul's life through all the ups and downs and, and things that happened to him. He trusted God through it all. So why does Luke add that last little phrase? Why did Paul need to take courage? Three reasons. One, he knows that Rome is his 
final destination before heaven. Secondly, he knows it's probably not going to end well for him in a physical sense. He's going to die there. And thirdly, he's making a statement. In spite of all that's going on, he's going to trust God to give him courage. So we think Paul is Teflon. You know, he's shaken off, you know, poisonous snakes. He's, you know, storms, you know, miraculously are calmed or they end up on a reef and everybody lives. But even Paul needed courage. And he's learned something that all of us have learned at some point in the Christian life, that many times trusting God is an exercise of trusting him in spite of your circumstances, not because of your circumstances. I don't know what you've lost this week. I know you've lost sleep. I know you've lost property. Lord willing, nobody in our immediate church family died this week. But many of you know people who were taken out in the borderline shooting, friends of yours. And so we've all needed courage this week. And with their permission, and one of our families needs a lot of courage this week. Jim and Christine Albright lost everything, and there's a picture of some of the damage that was done in their neighborhood. And there's their picture. They have three boys, and I met with them this week. My heart breaks for them. Eight out of the 11 houses on their street burned to the ground in the Malibu Lakes area. And yet they are loving Jesus. They're, they're holding their family together. You've been awesome caring for them. And they need courage. And we need to support them. It's going to be a long couple of years ahead of them. If you want to help them, you can talk to me afterwards. There's a GoFundMe page that one of their friends set up. Thankfully, they have insurance. And so in the long run, I think they'll be okay but they've lost it all. One of the things that Christine said after the service, she said, actually, we've given so many clothes for our boys that we now need to donate to the Salvation Army. We gave them bins that they're now putting clothes in to give to others. And thankfully, they had already planned a trip up to Idaho to be with their family. And they'll be out of this for a week. It looks like God's found them a place to live in the near future in the neighborhood right by Sumac where their kids go to school where they can walk to school. God's at work, friends. I don't know where you think God is in all this, but this is the time to get those questions answered. This is the time to say, God, thank you for my protection and for your provision. And so I'm going to pray for the Albrights as we close, that God would give them courage, that would give us courage in this this time as a community. And let's pray. Lord, I ask you today that you would be strong among us, that your loving kindness would be abundant, that your hand of protection would be all-encompassing, that, Lord, in your great wisdom, that you would give us a sense of peace in the midst of this storm. Lord, many of us will never be the same. Many of us have never been evacuated before. Never had three minutes to figure out what to throw in the trunk or 
three hours, whether it was three minutes or three hours, Lord, it was unsettling. Lord, thank you for bringing us back here to this place where when it's all said and done, you take us through the fires. We, we lift your name up. And we worship you in adoration today. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great song in light of all that's gone on in our community. Now, I know I hardly ever make you do this, but if ever we held hands, this is the morning to hold hands as I pray a prayer blessing on us. Your hands aren't that clammy. It's going to be okay, all right? So grab a hold of a hand and cross the aisles all the way across. I know some of you don't know those people. Wash them afterwards. It's okay. A couple things. There's all sorts of great resources from yesterday out on that table. Pick that stuff up on how stress and trauma and being a caring person. We've got a support group that pastors have put together at uh, another church if you want to be a part of that for grief support Wednesdays and Fridays. And one of our own is facilitating it. Um, again, we want to be there for you. And so just ask. All right, offices open this week, Monday through Wednesday. I think some of you need to come and talk. I've cleared my calendar all day Tuesday. Come on, drop in, let's talk, let's pray. You need to bring a neighbor, bring them, bring a friend. Some of you are on your last little strand of, and I see it in your faces, and I know it's been a hard week. So love one another, care for one another. Be the church for one another, all right? This is where you shine, friends. This is where Christ makes a difference because you have a hope. You're not grieving as those who don't have hope. Amen. Let's pray a prayer of blessing. Lord, to you, the powerful, all-wise God, to the God who is the provider and the protector of all life, to you be the glory and honor and power and dominion and majesty now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. God bless.